Thank you uh, very much and thank especially to the organizers for um, inviting me uh, to this um, really wonderful workshop. Um, what I would like to do today is to address the theme of our panel, uh, which is exhibiting progress, by looking at representations of modernity and progress uh, that have been influential at different historical moments in Indian public culture. Um, when we bring these together, juxtaposing uh, progress imaginaries from 21st century India with those from the moment of Nehruvian nation building 70 years ago, so you know, pairing the, the two new Indias, as it were, um, we glimpse a relatively overlooked, but what I think is in fact a key and a foundational element of the Nehruvian modern. This is the aspect of a diffident modernity uh, that my title alludes to and I hope to kind of unpack um, a little bit um, in the discussion today. I'm gonna to propose today that the project of Nehruvian modernity for several historically contingent as well as ideological and political reasons was based upon a specific and a quite distinctive vision of an Indian darkness. Again, it's, it's the subtitle here. As we will soon see, scenes and narratives of failure, doubt, and hesitation, as much as the arrogant hubris of the monumentalist high modernity that many of us have long associated with Nehruvian India, proliferated in the first few decades after independence. Like the proverbial importance of the dog that does not bark, um, their conspicuous absence in the progress dreamscapes of today draws attention to the distinctive historical and conceptual formation of a diffident and incomplete modern, and to the political opportunities and also the obstacles that it put in place um, in the early years after independence. So let me elaborate on all of this by looking at a few pictures um, at India's progress exhibition. Um, should I use the clicker? It's just down here. Oh, no? Oh, that's not. Okay, yeah, I think that's it. Um, the first set of images um, that we'll soon see are from the kind of political progress, Im I'm sorry, the progress imaginary of contemporary, the, the, the kind of 21st century India, scenes and sites that we encounter right now. And just very brief, uh, just kind of a brief digression on the way I'm kind of engaging this idea of the political imaginary. Um, drawing upon the work of Russian philosopher Susan Buckmores has reminded us that the concept of the imaginary does not reference something abstract and non-real in the sense of imagination or fantasy, nor is it purely discursive. The, um, looking at the etymological root of the word imaginary in Russian, um, she um, argues that the imaginary is a political landscape and not a political logic. Um, it comprises a tangible sensory world filled with various kinds of material objects and sensations. We literally encounter and inhabit particular imaginaries that are made up of all kinds of image and other non-visual sensory objects and experiences. And it's in the sense of this encountered visual and material imaginary that I, I, I think we should approach these images. These are the visual wallpaper or the background of daily existence in India today. We keep coming across them in likely as well as unlikely spaces of state, capital, and civil society. 
And um, I want to emphasize here, and this kind of taps into these discussions about kind of the credibility of images that we were having um, yesterday, that um, the modern imaginary that I, I, I would like to uh, kind of show you here is cons constituted through these kinds of repeated and mostly unthought or unremarked upon encounters with these images, rather than through the conscious inculcation of deep beliefs um, of any kind. So let's keep this in mind when we view these images, the fact that they may not be and in fact are not credible or erratic in any sense, but they are familiar and ambient. And their work or power might reside precisely in this familiarity or ambience. So here are two uh, visual montages of the progress imaginary in present-day India that I've culled from various kinds of uh, media streams. The first set comprises what we might call visions of victory. So that's the kind of bullet train um, image that, you know, following Prime Minister Modi's recent declaration that we are going to have bullet trains just like in Japan. Um, then we have monumental flags, um, which are now required to be installed in university campuses around the country. And there's a giant one in Connaught Place um, in the center of New Delhi. Um, giant statues, um, and Kajri Jain uh, will tell us all about it. And this is taken, I mean, the, the, this, this kind of um, reference is, 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 is the point over here, the fact that this is going to be the biggest statue in the world. Um, and this. Um, yeah, more on the statue. This is the Statue of Unity that is proposed to be built of Sardar Vallabhai Patel. And this actually, I, I don't follow um, football and my eight-year-old daughter had to explain the, this joke to me. Um, <laughs> this is a, the social media meme. Um, so, you know, over here, this is, you know, in this kind of stream, what we might call visions of victory. The main themes here are speed, size, and victory. Um, or winning a global competition of some kind. Each activity and event taking place in India is presented in terms of its world historical significance, how something is happening for the first time ever. So just last month, when inaugurating the um, Sardar Sarovar Dam, Prime Minister Modi, um, in his speech, the main focus was not the instrumental use value of the dam, but um, how it's going to be the biggest dam in the world, um, and how he hasn't received any funding from the World Bank for it. So this idea of national progress as some kind of global conquest, India as the winner in a global competition, I want to emphasize this is not just a, a state-produced idea. Um, an increasingly militarist ethos of competition where national political existence is analogized to an absolute war in which victors decisively defeat all enemies suffuses private or non-state media worlds as well. And if anyone has watched um, Indian uh, television news um, in, in kind of recent months where you, you witness every night um, these uh, debates where any perceived criticism of the government is literally shouted down, um, reproduce and amplify this idea of um, you know, prog national progress as some kind of a gladiatorial sport where there can only be one winner. Um, social media platforms and technologies also kind of convey this um, uh, idea. The emergence of a new public cultural trope of militarism, I think, is another dimension of this um, imaginary of progress as war. And again, we see this um, in non-state spaces of civil society. There's this kind of new love for the armed forces um, that is being expressed in um, Indian um, kind of public culture um, of late. 
um, where people, you know, th this idea that you have zero tolerance for any criticism of the Indian military is increasingly becoming one of these kind of common things that people say. Um, Jawaharlal Nehru University, India's arguably India's premier educational institution, has recently proposed that they're going to install a giant tank on campus um, to instill patriotism in, in students. Um, I'm not sure whether this isn't going to be an active or a decommissioned tank. Um, and uh, there's also a really interesting phenomenon of um, retired military personnel contesting elections. And you know, I think we can, we can certainly think more about this. So that's kind of the first set of uh, visual montages. This, the second is, um, um, comprises, in a sense, de demolition scenes of various kinds. This is, of course, the destruction of the iconic Nehruvian-era Hall of Nations um, that was brought down in, um, 90, um, in April this year, despite kind of world protest about uh, uh, this phenomenon. And um, there's also been, which I include as part of this idea of you know, the demolition scene, is the declaration by Indian Prime Minister um, Narendra Modi, um, this kind of overnight um, a declaration of demonetization that um, in November um, it was announced that um, two very widely used um, currency notes um, were going to be illegal tender in just a few hours. So here in these kind of images, progress is linked to acts of destruction and cancellation of some kind. And they stage modernity as some kind of an act of powerful annulment, the modern agent as a great terminator, if you like. In order to move forward, we need to destroy and demolish some existing structure, practice, or habit. And we need to do this immediately and abruptly in one fell swoop. Um, now, you know, we know that the Nehruvian imaginary of development also had a transformative impulse at its um, core, the post-colonial state was always about promising this kind of decisive break from all the evils or atavisms, as, as, as the term was used, that plagued us. But this rupture was always understood to be an un ongoing process whose realization would come at some point in the future, not now and not yet. In contrast, I think the demolition scenes of today move outside modernity's waiting room, to use uh, Dipesh Chakravarti's term, and assert some kind of transformative power in the present. Um, these are all dramatic action scenes that involve spectacular, decisive, and immediate acts of destruction and cancellation. Um, each of these events, I think, stage progress as a grand spectacle of sovereign power, arresting and quite literally turning around the flow of ordinary time and events. Um, and again, I want to emphasize here that these kinds of action displays linking national progress to a um, decisive act of changing the stat status quo are not just um, limited to the BJP and the Modi government. We can we can kind of see this idea of kind of you know citizens as action heroes fueling a lot of other political formations um, in India today. The um, new uh, political party, the Aadmi Party, kind of thrives on this as its political currency. This idea of imme taking immediate action um, of some kind. And I think there are interesting ways, I don't have the time to discuss it now, but I think there are interesting and also troubling ways in which these two kinds of imaginaries, um, visions of victory and demolition scenes, converge in the figure of the cow vigilante and the lynch mob um, that literally destroys the enemy to secure the victory of the so-called national mainstream. Um, that's another variant, and uh, which kind of brings us to the issue of the increasingly violent and literally bloody nature of the contemporary progress imaginary, but you know, I'm gonna set that aside. So let me now in the, in the time that I have move 
kind of conclude with the postcolonial beginning and look then at the imaginary now that we you know now that if if you if you kind of accept what i'm saying this is the progress imaginary we have today what was the kind of vision of the new india ideas of modernity and progress that unfolded right after independence um conventional understanding of course as i've said understands this to be an era of high modernity and monumentalist statism um you know this idea that there's uh, the the nehruvian moment was all about producing and i myself have written about this the statist sublime this kind of transcendent state that would kind of stand above politics and in a sense kind of direct the nation and and kind of form the citizen um a certain kind of if you like command nationalism and there are many examples of this kind of high modernist impulse that um you know we've discussed ranging from the big dams and the kind of big science and technology projects to the building of cities like chandigarh again all these kind of high statist monumentalist visions um but when i revisit these examples today through the lens of where we are today through the lens of contemporary progress imaginaries i'm struck by something that i had noticed at the time of my research in the 90s but i hadn't i think noticed it enough or paid enough um significance to it this is this theme of indian darkness and the diffidence or the if you like the tentative character of the indian modern um which is in some ways a finding that is we could say is at odds with this idea of the monumentalist high modernist um nehruvian project um but in in some ways is is very much a part of it um and i think it pushes us to uh, take more seriously the significance of reflexivity as a foundational norm of modernity and i can again kind of expand on this in the discussion section so you know over and over again if you actually look at what was being said or done at the dams inaugurations at the independence day addresses to the nation in the pages of children's books in the documentary films of films division the statist vision of india's present and future was a dark and troubled vision it dwelled on all the hardships difficulties uncertainties and the open ended unknown state of things to come progress was pictured as heavy and hard work with no immediate or tangible rewards in the present or near future and i have a few representative quotes from um the discourse of the time i'm sorry i'm not going to spend too much time on them if you can so it's basically literally this idea of running on thorns and this one is actually my favorite um so um as you can see the kind of dark and somber tonalities <laughs> I agree <laughs> of 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 these quotes um you know it's it's easy to kind of clearly see a difference between this and the idea of ache din you know good days and india shining but i want to point to something more than the affective difference between contemporary triumphalism and earlier expressions of caution um just very briefly there's a clear difference in the narrative of time and the um normative ideas of political agency and purpose be i mean to put this really quickly and and crudely you have in some ways the idea of a collective future um which then seeds a politics of hope if you like in this diffident modern that is replaced today by an idea of aspiration and i i want to kind of flag this difference between um hope and aspiration uh which we could very simply talk about as the difference um of a politics that indexes a collective mass subject which i would call the politics of hope and a politics of 
personalized aspiration, right? And again, I could, I could expand on this. So that's kind of one um, feature that I would want to flag, this kind of difference in like the presence, but the, the future, um, the kind of the, the future that, that was the kind of ground of the past that I think is, is missing in some ways. Um, the second is this very interesting phenomenon of criticism and auto-critique, auto the profusion of criticism that was actually produced by the high modernist Nehruvian state itself. And, um, you know, you have a, a lot of the criticisms of how boring, how dull, how ineffective all of the propaganda of the state was, was actually produced by state committees themselves, right? And it's, 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 it's a really kind of interesting um, phenomenon where at some level you can see this, and I, I want to kind of say that this idea of you know, state-produced critique is, does not necessarily mean kind of an open room for dissent. You could also see this as a very careful strategy of co-optation, right? And um, I, maybe if I have one extra minute, I can show you a wonderful little clip from... Oh, I have four minutes. Okay, I could do that. I can. Um, yeah. So here's a clip from a films division documentary titled Miss, "The Case of Mr. Critic" uh, from 1954 that illustrates this point. Right. This is a state-produced documentary. Be patient, Mrs. Chandu. For your husband's habit is rather widespread in our country. Yeah, so it kind of continues um, in this vein. And of course, at the end of the film, Mr. Critic, Chandu is reformed and he doesn't kind of criticize anymore. And that's kind of precisely the point. I'm not trying to suggest over here that you know this, this, there, there was necessarily space for dissent in a kind of unqualified way, but, but it's still an important thing to kind of think about this idea of uh, this performative state-sanctioned um, production of, 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 of critique. So let me just very briefly conclude. Um, I've uh, argued today, or I've suggested, not argued really, today that um, if we look at Nehruvian progress imaginaries from the vantage point of our present, we see kind of, I, I see at least, um, the diffident nature, what I've called the diffident nature of the Nehruvian modern um, coming to light, which is um, which has these three features. Um, the first, the narrative 
narrative of an Indian darkness that presents this kind of unfinished and very difficult, the fact that, you know, freedom is hard work, right? I mean, this kind of narrative. The second is this idea of the open-ended future as an unknown horizon that we are collectively journeying towards, but we don't quite know where we are going. And so the darkness imaginary is not about despair and negativity. Rather, I've, uh, I want to suggest it seeds a politics of hope, a form of politics that has a collective or a mass subject at the center, unlike the personalized politics of aspiration from our present moment. And finally, diffident modernity is characterized by its reflexive or self-critical stance. The state um, in this period was its own worst critic in some ways. And uh, the indictment of the Nehruvian moderns inadequacies and failures was very much a part of the Nehruvian project. To modify James Scott, seeing like the state was to spot all the motes and beams in its eye. Um, together, these features complicate the high modernist story of the Nehruvian state and ask us to look beyond the finished portrait to the everyday work and the production practices that were actually undertaken in the name of the Nehruvian modernity project. And if we do it, we can see perhaps that the art of independence, both in the literal sense of an aesthetic project and also as a political and an institutional project of instituting national sovereignty after the end of colonial rule, conveyed a sense of open-ended contingency of being in the middle of things. It figured the present as experiment and the future as an unknown but collective horizon. And I'd um, be interested to hear more about kind of whether we can find cognate ideas of experimentality and future hope in other kinds of aesthetic practices of the time. And of course, I'll end with the kind of open question of saying that, you know, if we can contrast the then and the now and talk about these differences, but for me, the real kind of issue is how, what is the crooked line that connects the one to the other? Um, and what really is the relationship between the Nehruvian modern and, if you like, the Modi modern? Um, I, I don't want to think of these as just kind of polar opposites, um, but rather possibly think about, you know, the, as, as, as to use um, Kajri's term, the kind of complicated circuits that might um, relate one to the other. So I'll end here. Thank you.